Hello, everyone. Welcome to the very first Essays for King Jesus actual official podcast. Uh, so we have essays that we release here uh, that you can find on our website or get through email and, and other places. And then we release them in narrated form as well. And we're trying a bit of an experiment where occasionally we'll sit down with an author of one of those essays and go a little deeper with what they were saying, ask some questions, try to unpack it, get some more context, and and do that uh, occasionally and, and put it here on, on the podcast feed. So uh, this is our first time doing this. We'd love to hear your feedback if you have questions for authors or if you uh, want to suggest changes to the format. Um, but we're excited to branch into this new form of content and see where it goes. So with that out of the way, I'm Reagan Schrock, uh, the host of this podcast, and I'm interviewing Marlon Summers. Marlon is part of the team here at Anabaptist Perspectives, and he's written a number of essays for us over the years and actually does a lot of the management side for the Essays for King Jesus project here. So we're going to be taking a look a little deeper at his essay called Rebirth and the Law of Sowing and Reaping. Uh, this was published a little while ago. You can find it up on our website. The uh, link will be in the description as well. And of course, you can listen to the narrated form on this podcast feed as well. So with that out of the way, Marlon, welcome to the first, very first author interview here on Essays for King Jesus. Yes, thank you. We actually have done a few author interviews, but we posted those as episodes on our main Anabaptist Perspectives channel. So this is something slightly different. Okay, yeah, yeah, that, that, that's a good good clarifier because, yeah, we do have the main Anabaptist Perspectives channel and, and occasionally we'll do this. So, um, so yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see where we go with this format. But let's just jump right into this essay. And again, if you haven't read it, um, you might want to pause here and, and quick go check it out on, on our website. What inspired you to write about this? And why does this topic even matter? We're talking about, you know, rebirth and the law of sowing and reaping. We hear a lot about the sowing and reaping part, but then you throw the, the rebirth side into the title as well. So that immediately piqued my interest. Walk us through this concept and why did you want to write about this? One of the triggers um, that I mentioned in the opening paragraph was I was sitting in church listening to a sermon and the speaker was talking about sowing and reaping. And it struck me that this is 100% true, this is correct, um, but I was wondering, this was maybe actually triggered a little bit by somebody else who I knew was in the audience who was from a different theological persuasion and wondering what they would think about it. And I was thinking, well, would somebody else hear this and say, where's the gospel in this? You're just talking about us reaping the natural results of what we do. Where's God's grace in it? And that kind of got me stirred to think about how do these things fit together? So out of that, I guess you, you play with that a bit and said, well, let, let me write this out. And it turns into an essay at some point, I guess. Yeah. And I mean, another trigger in there is, I don't know how long ago, but reading Romans 6 and coming across a familiar verse the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And realizing that as I had seen that verse presented many times from childhood on up, it was presented in a very different way than just taking a straightforward reading from the context of Romans 6, uh, which I then get into the essay and we'll talk about a good bit later, how that verse in Romans 6, at least on the surface, says something very different than most of us are familiar with. Yeah, and we'll definitely 
jump into the Romans 6 part here in, in a second. And just to give a little more context too, you know, we call it law of sowing and reaping. Um, and you're, it, you mentioned this as a, some of the initial inspiration about where's the grace in that. Is that some of what you're juxtapositioning to, against each other? Like, why are we calling this a law, basically? No, I didn't even think of it. In term, I didn't think about the word law at all in writing it. It's just I've always heard it referred to as the law of sowing and reaping. <laughs> and so it's a good question. And I was thinking about it. I think the reason we call it as a law is not so much. It's not the law of Moses. It's not a civil law. I think it's more like we talk about the law of gravity, like this is the way things work. But it's also interesting because you have the law of gravity, which says that things are attracted to each other. If you're on the earth, everything is pulled down. But gravity is not the only force that is in existence. You can still lift things up, even though, gra and that doesn't change the law of gravity, but you can still pick something up uh, with a greater force. Or you can use interesting things in physics and design things that are lighter than air and float in there like a hot air balloon or whatever. They don't get rid of, the law of gravity is still the way things work. But there are other, other forces involved, which might actually tie nicely here with the whole thing of rebirth and God intervening. Well, yeah, because that's kind of where I, my brain tends, when I read stuff, my brain tends to go on all kinds of rabbit trails and things. And so I'm seeing law and I'm thinking, okay, you know, is this about the law and, and grace and Christ's redemption from the law? And then, the you know, I was I was going maybe way down um, some rabbit holes that, that maybe weren't <laughs> the whole point here. But it, but that's interesting, some interesting context there as we think about law and and then what you were saying, Christ intervening and, and the, then the bringing in the rebirth part. Yeah, and I think it fleshed that out because that's, you know, you ask, okay, why does this matter? To me, that's a tension or maybe not even a tension as much as it's, we keep getting tripped over, tripped up over this. It's like, well, did God fix, fix everything and nothing else, nothing I do matters? Or is my life just, you know, the consequence of accumulations from my choices? You know, neither answer is very great. So let's let's go into some of this the rebirth part of the essay that, that you brought in here. This isn't an exact quote, but somewhere you use terminology that says the gospel promises newness or something to that effect. And I'm curious, is that the right word? Was that really intentional or should we shouldn't we say it promises restoration and redemption? Is that the same as newness? Is that different than newness? I'm curious about the the use of that word and, and what inspired you to to do that. So newness and restoration and redemption, these are, they are very connected. Uh, yes, newness is an intentional choice. Uh, one way they tie together, I think in the New Testament, new and renew fit together pretty closely. So new has the idea of this is fresh. It's not the same as it was. Um, but it's also, a, you know, you talk about renewing something, and that does have more the idea of restoration or redemption, bringing back uh, what could have been. Yes, God is renewing us. Newness, specifically, you're no longer tied by the past. There's all these sin, there's all these, you talk about selling your rings, all these things that you planted in the past that are old. And God says, no, if you're in Christ, you are a new creation. You are putting off the old human being and put on the new human, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of Christ. So that was probably the biggest key for me is 
look, the gospel is about a fresh start. Yes, there's all these things in the past. Things are messed up. And now here is something new. That verse, you know, behold, I make things, all things new, I guess really, really applies here. That's interesting because, again, when I was reading this, I was like, oh, that's, you know, that's an interesting choice of wording. You know, we don't normally think of it or, or maybe speak of it in terms of newness. Um, and I really liked it. it. It stuck out to me. And so I felt like I kind of had to ask that question because I usually am thinking, you know, in, oh, I don't know, like Matthew 17, 11 and, you know, Acts, um, trying to remember Acts, Acts 3 or something where it talks about, you know, he'll restore all things. Um, Christ will restore all things. And some, I'm, I don't think that's an exact quote, but that, that sense. So I'm, I, I tend to think of it in terms of restoration, but maybe there's some real value here and, and also thinking of it in terms of newness. So yeah, that that was an that was an interesting angle I hadn't thought about before. This kind of gets to some of the original inspiration for the essay uh, initially. How does the law of sowing and reaping still apply after salvation? Because again, it you know it's a law. It's yeah, like well we're not we don't, live, we don't live under the law. You know, you start going down you start going down that street. Um, and I think maybe that's that's poor, poor, poorly contextualized, but I think you get what I'm I'm emphasizing here. Well, yeah, and that's another part of it because. There are theology. There are theological temptations, either theologically driven or driven from, you know, laziness in the Christian life or whatever. To think, I've been born again and I can't be unborn, so, you know, God did everything, or, you know, I've been adopted into God's family and adopted children can never be kicked out or whatever. Like these relational metaphors. Or, you know, all my sins, past, present, and future have been forgiven. Not sure how you would, not sure how to even start um, parsing out the implications or meanings of a statement like that. But there's a temptation, and it's partly understandable because, well, God is wiping out the past, is forgiving our debts, is causing us to be born again, um, born anew. So, okay, what... What about the whole thing of the kind of seed that you plant is the kind of thing that you'll reap? And what does that mean in the Christian life? And that's where Romans 6 comes in because Paul has talked about newness and restoration and how can you be justified and part of God's family and so on. Comes to Romans chapter 6 and says, what then are we supposed to say? You know, what's do lots of sinning so that God could exercise lots of grace. And he's just like, no, you crazy people. Like, don't you realize that if we've died to sin, you know, we're not, we can't live in it any longer. But at the same time, right, we know sin doesn't fit with who we are in Christ. But, right, we know all too well that it's still possible. It's not literally impossible for us to operate in sin, but it is totally inconsistent or incongruous with um, belonging to God. And so I've had interesting, he works his way down through the chapter, talks about these different metaphors, master and slave, um, but also agricultural, like fruit, getting fruit from something, um, what you will reap from your actions, and basically says, well, if you are 
using your body parts, your hands or your feet or your mouth or whatever to commit sin, then you are a slave of sin. Um, if you are presenting your body parts, your mouth, your eyes, your ears, your fingers, um, to God as tools for righteousness, uh, you belong to God as God's slave. And from there, obviously it keeps going to what you receive from these two different masters. Um, but also in the middle, he talks about, well, certain kinds of things produce a certain kind of fruit, a fruit of eternal life. Other things produce something else. And so you get down to the last verse, the famous verse. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. So, if the wages of sin is death, who is paying out those wages? So, as I heard this verse presented... Um, growing up and more recently popularly, the idea is, well, the wages of sin means God's wrath against sin, God's just punishment. Death is God's just punishment for sin. And that is a biblical theme. God's judgment rightly falls on us. Death is God's judgment. Um, but that is not the surface, but that's not a straightforward reading of Romans 6. Because what you have in Romans 6, who pays the wages? Well, it's just been set up. Are you serving God? Then God is going to give something to his servants. Are you serving sin? Well, sin is going to administer something to his servants. Now, theologically, you could say sin paying you the wage of death is God's judgment and you know, that may be an appropriate way to look at it, but that's not the basic reading of the passage. The basic reading of the passage is this warning. It says you have two choices, and he's talking to people who have experienced the grace of God. Present your body parts to God. You're his slave. And you get fruit from being God's slave, but this fruit is God's gift. Think about that a little bit. I mean, that's, one of, that's the exciting thing. So it doesn't say, and God will pay you wages because you did such a great job and earned this. No, it says it's God's gift because it was freely given. You don't put God in your obligation. God is giving, giving this gift, but at the same time, it's being described as the fruit of what's coming out of your life. I and mean, that's about the most exciting thing <laughs> I could read because what it's saying is this is God's gracious gift, and yet God is giving you, God is giving you a sense of ownership in it, of helping to produce this without in any way saying you can earn it or anything like that, as described as fruit. So it it effectively will keep us humble because because we can't point to that and be like, ha-ha, I did that. Look at how great I am. But it also sounds to me like that would remove passivity and says, oh, well, it doesn't matter. Like, God's got it. I don't have to do anything. I just kind of sit here and enjoy all this wonderfulness. And it's like, oh, well, well, hold on. You know, so it's... It, that's actually kind of profound because it's giving us both there. It gives a sense of, uh, you said it better than I, but it, it, it would keep us humble, but also keeps us from being passive. I don't know, just saying, oh, that doesn't matter. Exactly. Which we see, yeah, over and over through the scripture, so many different ways. Yeah, then on the other side, you're serving sin, 
It doesn't say the gift of sin. That's not a gift. You deserve it. But it is also described as, you know, it's the negative kind of reaping, reaping from the negative things that you've, that you've sowed. But it's a wage. So you have a choice of two masters. The one will give you a gift and the other one will give you a wage. And there's a big difference between the two. Yeah, that that's pretty profound, actually. Gift versus a, versus a wage. Yeah, I, don't, I I had never thought of that one. That that's a, that's a new one for me there. So if I could have found a way to sneak that into the first paragraph of the essay, maybe it would have been a little more catchy. But thought you have to work your way to the main point. That's really good. Well, I'm I'm hoping this is inspiring some people to go read it in full because it's it's a good essay and it's worth you know it's worth dialing in on. These are important conversations to have. I think I think we're getting to some of the confusion around around some of this stuff because yeah because I, I I've always heard that how you were initially presenting the law of sowing and reaping that's that's how I've often heard about it but it's like well there there's some more context here there's more to this there's a deeper understanding that yeah I I found that really helpful that that's really good yeah thanks for sharing that that's that's the last uh, question I had on my list. Um, but I'd be really curious if you have anything else that you would like to add. Is there anything we missed or, that, or some more context we could give our listeners? Two other pieces that are also kind of exciting to me in thinking about this. So the one is when you hear the law of sowing and reaping, it's often referring to Galatians. And that's also addressing believers. And Paul's addressing a similar question is saying, don't be fooled. He has walked through. You're saved, you know, through your allegiance to Jesus, not through the works of the law of Moses and so on. Um, you are walking in freedom. And then he talks about how do you use the freedom. Um, but he comes back around and says, you know, don't be fooled. The one who sows to his flesh, and he lists the whole list of sinful things, will reap corruption. The one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And so that's, again, it's addressed to believers. And it's, again, yeah, sowing and reaping, but it's coming from the Spirit. So it's not just, I accomplished this and take all the credit for it. Um, it's coming from God's Spirit. The other one is to think about the other side of sowing and reaping. You know, we say the law of sowing and reaping, and we normally think about places like Galatians, the things that I am planting in my life and they're growing and bearing the same kind of fruit. But the gospel is also described as God planting things in our life and then they grow. And the harvest that comes from that uh, for us and for God. So I find that exciting to flip it around too and think about it. Well, it's actually about God planting seeds in my life that grow as well. That's really good. I think that's a a really good thought or a good um, analogy to end on. So thank you for taking the time to share a little more context and explain this and also for writing the essay initially too. It's a good essay. Go check it out. It's linked down below. And I'd be curious to hear you all's thoughts on what Marlon shared here. And again, this is a bit of a new format for us. We're not sure how often we'll we'll do these, but We'd like to like to keep producing them. So if you have questions or if there was a particularly interesting essay that you read and uh, would like to hear us sit down with the author and, and discuss it in more detail, let us know. 
uh, contact us through our website or, or something, we we would love to hear from you and, and hear your feedback so we can uh, keep doing this and, and make it valuable for you as a listener. So uh, thanks for listening to this episode. Thanks for reading and supporting Anabaptist Perspectives, and we'll catch you in the next episode.